From Eyewitness News, this is Newsmakers. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. On Friday afternoon, Governor Gina Raimondo announced as the coronavirus pandemic grows, she is keeping public school students home for at least one week. Here are some of what she had to say. Today I am announcing that we are going to move up the previously scheduled April break for our K-12 public schools to next week. K-12 public schools were scheduled to take off a week in April. Instead, we're moving that spring break to next week. I, I want to emphasize we're taking this a day at a time and a week at a time. So the measure for today is no school next week. Teachers, principals, superintendents work next week to prepare distance learning plans so that in the event we need that in the weeks to come we'll be prepared. Joining me now on this reporter's roundtable is Eyewitness News Politics Editor Ted Nisi and Target 12 Investigators Eli Sherman and Steph Machado. An important note to our viewers, we are taping this on a Friday afternoon. It's safe to say this is a very fluid situation, so make sure you check with WPRI 12 and WPRI.com for the latest information. All right, Ted, on Thursday afternoon, I think it was, Governor Raimondo was on a cable news network, and she was uh, telling them her last resort would be to close schools. Not even 24 hours later, uh, she's doing just that. She's moving the April vacation uh, to to this uh, week in March. What do you think changed on their end? I think you saw it in the in the case numbers. Uh, you saw that we were had been hold, Rhode Island had been holding at five cases uh, for the last couple of days. It more than doubled overnight, and now uh, you're up to 14. I think that alarmed the governor and her staff about the possibility of community transmission that uh, the virus is spreading more underground than we realized. I also think. Uh, this, changed, this happened even faster than that, Tim, because I was talking to people close to the governor this morning, Friday morning, who still thought the probability was low she would order closure. So I think the meetings mm. this morning were pivotal. Uh, and my understanding is what they're saying to the public is what they're saying to each other in private. There were real concerns about child care, nutrition for, for underprivileged students, and, the, and the, just the, the chaos it could lead to. And this morning she clearly made a decision that this is the right way we have to go. And Steph, we're also learning a little bit more about a student that actually uh, is one of those confirmed cases. I mean, as, as the news conference was going on, you spotted something. Uh, yes, so they did not say during the news conference whether any of the nine new cases were at schools, but parents from Cranston High School West actually during the news conference received an email from the assistant superintendent of schools confirming that um, a student there had tested positive in the they said within the last hour and that students and staff and faculty were being told to quarantine at home for 14 days and monitor themselves for symptoms so that clearly would have contributed to the decision to close schools as these nine new cases came in and we're seeing that there are now school connections which we did not have um, before other than the St. Ray's uh, trip and sort of a tangential connection to a couple of other schools that sort of briefly closed and cleaned and then opened right back up. This was the first positive case of a public school student. And we're seeing it on both sides of the border because Adelbert, you know, Charlie Baker made a different decision as of noontime Friday. Let not the districts decide. Yeah, not to close statewide. But just before that, we had the memo in Attleboro district schools that they will be closing next week because a student there has tested positive. Um, Steph. 
the move to remote learning is mm -hmm. not just a hot topic anymore. It's now the reality. And uh, you spoke with the deputy commissioner at Ride. I, I want to play a little sound and then get you to weigh in on this. Uh, and this is their point person, right, on the coronavirus yes. over at Ride about the challenges to online learning. Let's take a listen. The bar is set high because we want to make sure all students get the same educational opportunities if it were to be a virtual learning day. We worry about both young students, but also the differently able students, multilingual students, students who need um, other services that would be difficult to provide online. So the bar is high. The bar is high. How ready are schools right now? Was again, was we tape on a Friday afternoon for remote learning? I mean, the answer is they're not ready today. Um, we have been told that one application is in. Again, we're taping this on Friday afternoon, but at last check, one application is in from East Providence Schools to start remote learning. That needs to be approved by Ride to make sure that it's. Uh, providing equity to students, right? Is everyone getting a laptop? Is everyone gonna have Wi-Fi access? Things like that for it to count as a school day. Um, schools are now scrambling to put together their remote learning plans. Um, and I should mention, we did a story yesterday about the fact that remote learning has technically been legal in Rhode Island since 2017, but every single school district that has applied- For snow days, essentially. For, well, and the point of it was for snow days. Of course, <laughs> this year we don't have, we have not had much snow at all, but every district that has applied and submitted their virtual learning plans to ride thus far, pre-coronavirus has been rejected. So now Ride and Anna Riley, who we just heard of, heard from, is working directly with school districts to get them to have remote learning plans that are compliant, that can be approved, so that hopefully by the end of next week, everyone is in place to do remote learning if they have to have a further closure. A big, one, one really tricky thing about this too for a lot of districts is of course, um, students, for a lot of students, they're getting their regular meals at school. So if you close down schools, you also have to have that plan in place to ensure that people have food security in the times that they can't physically go to the buildings. And daycare, as we pointed out, that is a, a big challenge. And the governor asked uh, daycare centers to remain open for the week. So the folks that have to go to work, but their kids are home, there's a place to put them. Um, so what are they going to do? Are they going to loosen regulations? Uh, because kids that don't have access to Wi-Fi right. still won't have access to Wi-Fi next week or the week after if they have to remain closed. So is the answer that you also have to kind of look the other way in some of the regulations that were put into place? Well, it depends on what Ride decides. Um, we know the Commissioner Infante Green is feels pretty strong about educational standards, so I don't know if she's going to waive any requirements. East Providence is using a nonprofit organization that uh, their whole reason for existing is to um, help with digital inequities. So that nonprofit is going to be paying temporarily um, for students in East Providence who don't have uh, Wi-Fi access to set it up in their homes. I don't know what that group's capacity is. There could be other grants, other other um, nonprofits, federal funding. I think they're going to be trying to find any way they can to get the proper technology to students so that they can all do remote learning. So on Friday, we learned about a significant jump in the confirmed cases of coronavirus. Again, this is uh, Friday afternoon from 5 now to 14. And Eli, we learned a little bit about the pace at which Rhode Island uh, testing, uh, the, the cases that they're testing, uh, how fast they're doing it. Yeah, it's really pretty slow, Tim. This is one of the wide criticisms um, all over the country we're seeing. Um, but today it, we heard from the governor who said that we have the capacity here in Rhode Island to test uh, 80 people per day. Uh, so far, as of the numbers today, I think we're right around 200. So you have to figure this has been going on for a while. Why aren't we way above that? 
I think um, you know part of the reasons being is that the the standards for being testing is that you 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 have to cross off quite a few things on a checklist before you're administered a test, and I think that we're we're hearing from people who are sick um, here and and in other places that you know they want to get the test done, but they're not necessarily getting it because they're not checking off all those boxes, which include having traveled. Um, to other parts of the world, um, to have had direct contact or exposure to someone who has the virus. It's tough to really know exactly where we are in terms of numbers without having robust testing. And that, and I think it's so important people understand, after talking to public health experts, reading a lot of uh, material about this this week, it's not just so people themselves can know, it's because the you can't stop the spread of the virus or try to mitigate is really where we are now without knowing who has it and who needs to stay home. And some people, especially younger people, apparently are having somewhat mild cases and wouldn't necessarily think, oh, I'm super sick, I need to be at home. But those people can give it to someone who is very much at risk. The other thing is we, the, this effort, people are gonna hear a lot about flattening the curve. And this is this effort to, uh, not to prevent at this point this from going through the population, but to slow how fast it goes through the population. You don't wanna be Italy. You don't wanna be Wuhan. You don't wanna have to shut society down. I was looking it up to him. Rhode Island only has 188 ICU beds across all the hospitals in the state. Mm. And if a lot of people have significant respiratory failure, you're going to need those. And by the way, there will be people with medical issues that aren't coronavirus. So getting it so that the hospitals are not overstretched and this pandemic, as long as it lasts, isn't, isn't too acute too quickly is, is almost just as important at this point, if not more so, for public health officials. Yeah, I mean, you see in other parts of the world, particularly in China, with, as you point out, they did shut it down. They have a, a totally authoritarian style of government there where they, it, it's a little more acceptable, I think. Uh, they are setting up massive... <laughs> they make it acceptable. They make it acceptable. <laughs> uh, massive tent facilities right. to, to handle all those beds. All right, I want to pivot to the economy, and we're going to play a little bit uh, more sound here. Ted, on Thursday, I believe it was, you spoke to uh, Milena Pagan, who owns Rebel Artisan Bagels in Providence, and she said as of at least Thursday, while her customer count wasn't down, she's talking to a growing number of other restaurants who are seeing a drop, and she's worried some of them can't survive even a, even a few weeks of reduced business. Let's take a listen. I think if the state could expand some kind of coverage to the businesses that um, are a little bit smaller in size and cover their paid sick leave so that employees are protected during the period. Um, also, if any businesses need to temporarily close, creating some kind of safety net for the hourly employees so that they can have some kind of income guaranteed while this crisis is resolved and then be able to resume their jobs again. And we're not talking just restaurants here. I mean, we, we got an email from uh, catering companies that are having to, to pull back. I mean, and their, their margins are so thin. Yeah, I mean, uh, the food service, you know, the people at the sort of the front ends of serving people, I think, are the first to feel it. The restaurants, uh, that when people cancel a party, the conventions that aren't coming to Providence and other cities now that would have been, the trips people are canceling where they would have been going out and having fun and getting a drink or whatever. Um, and I think that's the other piece. This almost, this feels like, multiple massive stories mm -hmm. all colliding at once. It's, a, it's almost a stress test across society. So you have not only the public health issues we've been talking about, but now these cascading effects. Restaurants that are suddenly laying people off. Those people who are suddenly having an economic crisis, even if they're healthy, that's why you're hearing concern now about a recession. And I should know in Providence, they're not sort of leaving it up to the discretion of businesses. They have pulled all, first of all, all entertainment licenses, period. Which means who? Which means, so for example, well, it, it, does, it means strip clubs. They have adult entertainment licenses, which 
um, is one thing, but it also means just if you were, if you were going to have a live band, if you were going to have a DJ, if you were going to even play loud music at your club or bar, that requires an entertainment license, depending on the decibels and and you know and the speakers and all of that. So that means you know these businesses are not allowed to have entertainment, and then they're also limiting all other licenses to having a hundred or fewer people in your business. So if you have a liquor license and you have a restaurant and you were going to have more than a hundred people having dinner tonight you now have to cancel reservations or whatnot until you have 100 people in your business. So it's not really up to their discretion. They are being told this is now a condition of your license for the next two weeks. And of course, as we tape this program, we're you know waiting to see what comes out of Washington, D.C. in terms of uh, uh, providing a little bit of help. But one place that is not um, closing its doors right now, we got a ton of emails on this one, and you wrote a story about it, the casinos in Rhode Island aren't shutting their doors. Yeah, you can. It's open to gamble. Um, <laughs> if you w want to go to the casinos, that's a place that you can go. Despite as of Friday afternoon, as of Friday <laughs> afternoon, we'll see where it goes. But to, even today, when the governor was speaking, she she doubled down on her um, her direction to not engage in any event where there are over 250 people. Um, now. I should say that Twin River, which operates the two state-owned casinos in Rhode Island, has canceled its events, concerts. Concerts and such, um, yeah. I think there was a beer and food festival plan. They canceled that. But they haven't closed down the thousands of slot machines that they have, the table games they have in Lincoln, um, and you know the sports betting bar that they have there as well, meaning that even though she's saying, don't go where there are crowds of 250 people or more, that building can hold hundreds of people and it, it it's not entirely clear as of right now who has the authority to mm -hmm. shut it down but they've decided so far not to well ted before we go to a break which we're overdue for is it unfair to point out that um twin river the casinos are a massive revenue source for the state when we talk about this in the context no, of I mean, not shutting their doors eli ran the numbers what was it 920 dollars a minute wow. in profit for the casinos which just is on split. the slot machines just on the slots thank you um, it, it, it's a lot of money at stake, I think. You know, and by the way, don't forget Twin River, which operates these casinos, they're technically state-owned, is a publicly traded company that relies, I think, on roughly two-thirds of its revenue, Rhode Island. So you have two entities, the state that needs, that is already facing a financial hit from this coronavirus crisis, coronavirus crisis, and then Twin River as a company, too, probably very nervous about what would happen at that point. All right, we're going to take a break here on Newsmakers. Our conversation about the coronavirus pandemic will continue when we come back, what it means to politics. Stay with us. You're watching Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers. I'm Tim White. This week, a reporter's roundtable, and we're obviously focusing on the big story for the past couple of weeks, and that is the coronavirus pandemic. Joining me is politics editor Ted Nisi, along with Target 12 investigator Steph Machado and Eli Sherman. All right, before we get into politics, which I had promised uh, going into break, um, one thing that caught my attention during the news conference on Friday, and again, I have to point out, we are taping this program on Friday afternoon, so make sure you go to WPRI.com for the latest information. The governor made a special plea to the, initially she said, to the media about bad information on social media, which, in my opinion, that seems misplaced. I think they, the uh, plea should go to the public about going to trusted news sources about where you uh, get your information. But already we see the state addressing, while she was on television giving her address, the uh, Department of Health put out a tweet that started with all caps, false rumors. And then they went on to, to try and clear up something on, uh, uh, on social media. 
look, we all you know went to school, we studied journalism. People need to be smart about what they share at this at this time, particularly. We I put up a post on my professional Facebook today to folks with like a plea. Think like a reporter, right? You know, the old saying we have in our industry is uh, if your mother says she loves you, check, check it out. out. You know, <laughs> which is just uh, a good way to think about no, take nothing for granted. And, and if anything, we always talk in the newsroom about the more you want to believe something because it's so interesting or, or mm -hmm. unbelievable, the more you need to double and even triple check it. And I think everyone now, in a way, is a reporter because of social media and the ability to spread information. Yeah. And that's what we're all here for. You know, we have. Email us if you hear about something you want us to check. Investigative at WPRI.com hits the four of us and our colleagues. We're running down the tips and everything, but sharing rumors and wild gossip on social media can only make the situation worse. And I think, Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I think the, just the lack of media literacy is a problem in this country in this particular crisis is showing that even more. I had someone on my Facebook page say, why is the news reporting this? And I said, can you show me a, a news outlet that reported that? And it was someone on her Facebook who just shared something that was not from a reporter or from a news outlet. So if you're getting your news from social media, um, you might be seeing information that is not true. And then later, you might not remember, was that from a news outlet? Was that from my friend? So if you go directly to your local news outlets or to pub uh, trusted news outlets that are reporting accurate, verified information, we are working to confirm information as uh, fast as we can to report about closures, to report what the experts are saying, to report the guidance from state officials, which so far has been wash your hands and sort of stay home when you're sick and use common sense and don't go to large gatherings. We are not telling people to buy all the toilet paper in the state. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who's saying that. <laughs> well, I mean, and just, I don't want to turn this into a media ethics class, sure. but I mean, earlier this week, you know, you say go to trusted news sources. A lot of people were duped by a fake BBC account mm -hmm. that said Daniel Radcliffe had been mm -hmm. diagnosed with coronavirus. Harry Potter does not have uh, coronavirus. That was obviously, I guess the only benefit to social media is things like that are quickly you know, called out on social media, but True. you never know if you parachute in and a you lie, catch it and then you they leave. They say a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I would say one thing too that's particularly tricky about this situation is that um, because the virus spreads so quickly, you have instances in which people are sick in schools and schools can become such a r rumor mill, oh, a yeah. place oh, where yeah. parents are just, you know, they heard something from another parent who heard it from another parent, and all of a sudden you have this false narrative that's going on that makes its way to social media. So f in terms of what the government can do is try and be as clear as possible when you're talking about where these cases exist. Mm -hmm. And to date, I, I should note that they're not saying, you know, which communities or which schools necessarily where we're seeing these cases. Yeah, one way you stop rumors is with verified information. Mm -hmm. and, and, a, and a vacuum is where you see those spread. Politics. Uh, I want to talk about the potential political impacts um, here. You know, first, there's the presidential race. Just from a campaigning perspective, you know, large rallies, they, they might not happen as frequently. Then more broadly, if the economy continues to tank, Ted, I mean, Jim McCarville, it's the economy stupid. That could prove problematic for uh, the, the for President Trump and his re-election chances. Yeah, it's, it's extraordinary how fast the landscape has changed, you know, for the presidential race. Uh, you know, the president was going to run on, even if you don't like my tweets and you're sometimes concerned about how I handle the White House, your 401k looks great, the economy's strong, and, you know, let's keep on keeping on. And, and by the way, I'm probably running against Bernie Sanders, so I'm going to call him a socialist. Suddenly, it's Joe Biden back from the dead. Uh, the stock market, it was up <laughs> last check, but it's been 
swinging so wildly. I, I don't know where it will land on yeah. this Friday. Uh, we're talking about stimulus. We're worried about a recession. That changes everything. And then, of course, the criticisms, and I'm sure there'll be months of coverage on what missteps happened with the CDC. Oh, when yeah. should the administration have taken steps? They did take some steps, like the travel ban with China that experts now saying may have helped a bit, but did they use that time wisely? Um, it's changed. It's it's changed everything. I think about the the landscape for the presidential race, and and every day it seems less likely this is going to be a quick flash of a crazy story for two weeks that goes away. Just be, just the way it's developing right now. And not just a presidential race. I mean, over our borders, a huge uh, Senate race going on with Kennedy Markey. Do you think they're going to, you know, suspend the actual campaigning? We saw just this, uh, just this morning, Joe Kennedy said he was suspending all campaign activity for at least a week. Uh, they're supposed to have their second debate um, and next week. I think they're looking at moving that. We just announced we're going to have one of these Kennedy market debates on WPRI 12 in June. But we've already talked about the, at least imagining what we do. Would we do it without an audience potentially? Right. Do we, we do have I to plan six feet yeah. apart from you at it, you know, and all of that. So, I, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, this is just very unusual. General Assembly, right? They're closed yeah. next week. They normally close during the April vacation of schools, and now they've moved April vacation up to next week. So it's not particularly surprising, but they say they're closing as uh, at the advice of the Department of Health. So when they reopen uh, is obviously something we'll be tracking very closely as they have a lot of work to do um, before the end of the session. Where they're very deep in the swing of budget hearings. Well, in budget. That's why I yeah. pivot to you on that, Eli, because, I mean, how do you... Form your budget when all of this is going on. You don't know exactly how much federal money will be coming in. Again, doing this on a Friday, and, and things are happening down in Washington, D.C. Uh, you wrote about this, I think, earlier this week. What does it mean for the state budget? Yeah, well, so uh, first of all, I'm hearing from state officials that they are tracking expenses related to the coronavirus. They don't have those numbers now, but apparently that's an ongoing thing that they're tabulating. So presumably at some point we will know what was the cost of responding to the coronavirus. At the same time, our, our, our congressional delegation has been working to try and secure funds for us. So far, we've gotten about $4.9 million uh, from a federal spending bill that was passed last week. And um, so that money theoretically is coming here, which should go towards whatever expenses we may have incurred so mm -hmm. far. But the bigger question here is whether or not the president will evoke the Stafford Act, which basically allows him to um, open the floodgates to billions of dollars in disaster relief to states. And if he does that, then, you know, it's it's so possible. that money gets passed through the states uh, if he were to enact the Stafford Act. Is that your understanding of how it works? That's my understanding. In part, it's yeah. in, in part. part. So, and that could go towards anything from paying for hospital workers, um, hospital supplies, testing. You know, we talked in the first half of the show about needing to perhaps kick up the amount of testing that could open the floodgates for that. Even uh, Pete Gaynor, Rounds own Pete Gaynor, who runs FEMA now, might right. be asked to build temporary hospitals in some places if, if the capacity is expanded. Uh, and again, what's weird about this is you have two things going on at once now. You have an immediate public health crisis being responded to, but these same bills are also trying to figure out how to stabilize the economy with fiscal stimulus, uh, by whether that's injecting money into Medicaid, more uh, FMAP, the president wants a payroll tax cut. Um, so it just, it, it's, there's just an extraordinary amount of big news happening every hour at the moment. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's also hard to figure out what kind of stimulus do you, do you work out? I mean, this is not your traditional uh, you know, it's not a recession yet officially, but it, it, it could be the start of one. And you talk about a payroll tax cut, but a lot of people say, well, look, that's only good if you're actually getting a regular paycheck and you're paying into Social Security and so on and so forth. So 
I think we're all interested to see what comes out of Washington. Yeah, there's some grants. I mean, it may be passed, or there might be another bill coming next week. You know, you could see, we all remember when President Bush sent checks to everybody in his first year in office. Um, and I think you, you, you point to something else, Tim, which is just what this reminds remi It echoes some previous major news events, I think. Uh, you know, my first what year. What does it feel like to you? Well, my first year as a reporter was the financial crisis. And I remember the cascading effect feeling during September 08 as the financial crisis happened and things that couldn't happen happened, like Lehman Brothers collapsing, Merrill Lynch disappears overnight, uh, you know, talk about another depression or whatever. Um, and then some people, I, was, I wasn't a reporter yet, but uh, you covered 9 11. You were in Boston at the time. Right. I was in the WBZ in Boston. And it feels like 9 11, but a slow moving 9 11, mm -hmm. right? The, of course, September 11th. You know, you remember where you were when the towers fell, and it was just that feeling of insecurity after that. And I think this that feeling has been coming on more slowly than that immediate moment that happened on 9-11. But our coverage of it feels it's starting to ramp up into that 9-11 mm -hmm. uh, type of feel. I don't know if you're, you're feeling that as well. Well, and I just feel like every time a headline comes out, for example, a student has tested positive for coronavirus at Cranston High School West would normally be lead our newscast for days, potentially. Right. But there's going to be, you know, every time there's a new development, that becomes the next headline. That becomes the new lead on the top of all the newscasts. So it's just very fast moving, and there's so many developments. That's why we hope people go to our website so they can read all about them. All right, Steph Machado, Eli Sherman, Ted Nisi, thank you very much for joining us on the program. And as Steph just said, look, this is fast and furious. It's a very fluid situation. So make sure you go to WPRI.com, go to WPRI 12, download our news app, and we will be keeping you up to date as information comes into our newsroom. For all of us here, thank you for watching, and we will see you next week on Newsmakers. A little extra.